3: on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music
4: critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Kott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, we're going to talk about the relationship between two of life's greatest pleasures, food and music. We welcome chef, author, and punk
3: rocker Anthony Bourdain. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news.
4: Big news this week in the music world and the world at large, really. A a world celebrity. Michael Jackson died at the age of 50, collapsed in his home in Los Angeles, lapsed into a coma, never recovered. Shocking news, Jim, in many ways because no one really saw it coming. Only two days before this, I had spoken to his publicist about coming out to London to cover the opening of what was to be a major comeback by Michael Jackson. He had been preparing night and day for a 50-date string of shows in London, which was to launch his uh, musical comeback. For for 20 years, the discussion surrounding Michael Jackson had been about a lot of issues that had nothing to do with music. Right. And this was Jackson's attempt to get himself back in the limelight for all the right reasons. Whether it was going
3: to happen or not, nobody knew. The first four gigs of that engagement were canceled, and the English bookmakers
4: were laying bets that the whole thing was going to go down the tubes. But I was assured that July 13th was indeed going to be the opening date. The promise was that it was going to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest, shows ever staged. I mean, consider this. He'd sold out 50 dates at the London O2 Arena in advance, so there Mm -hmm. was still an incredible amount of interest. And I I think the only way to, to look at it is to remember that back in the early days, Michael Jackson did matter for reasons other than... Child molestation scandals. Well, this is the problem uh, in assessing what has to be one of the most complicated legacies in
3: the history of popular music. We live very close to Gary, those belching industrial smokestacks. It is a sad and difficult place to grow up and to come from there and go to the top of the charts around the world the way he did. I think, you know, it was always there in his music, this battle of having not had a childhood, famously this Peter Pan complex, and trying to find his identity, having grown up his entire life in the spotlight with his brothers in the Jackson 5, and then as a very young man, barely out of his teens, starting his solo career. It's a 73 song called With a Child's Heart that had been written by Stevie Wonder, but which he did on one of his first solo records, Music and Me, that I think, you know, it's all there when you hear him singing about, you know... Trying to live like a child uh, through life
5: with the child's heart, go face the worries of the day with the child.
3: But he did forge a heck of a solo career, and he found a measure of independence away from his family. In fact, you know, Thriller is considered the best-selling album of all time. Back before SoundScan, numbers were dubious. Uh, He might have sold anywhere between 40 million and 110 million copies of that album worldwide,
4: but never his best work. It's a blockbuster album, there's no doubt about it. It will be the one album that everybody remembers him by. But you're right, Jim, I think you have to dial it back about three years to find Michael Jackson at his peak. Before the sense of world conquest started creeping into his uh, musical sensibility, he had met the producer Quincy Jones on the set of The Wiz. And, and Jones offered to work with him and of course Jackson was flattered because here's a guy who had grown up with Ray Charles was one of the great jazz and R&B producers of all time and saying you know I see something in this kid I want to help him grow into a man really because yeah. he'd, he was this child star and and frankly the first few Jackson solo records were not all that distinguished so at the age of 20 he was recording this off the wall record and, and the maturity was there and I think Jones really helped him get there one of the things he did introduce to the Jackson sound was this sense of timelessness and swing, uh, this jazz fluidity and grace at the height of this disco era. Remember, this record comes out in 1979. Right. You know, in order to fit in, you've got to make dance floor music, and Michael Jackson did make a great dance floor record, but it had a sense of swing to it that I think allowed it to transcend that era. Well, and it wasn't confined to disco. You know, there were there was soul, there was funk, there yep. was pop, there
3: was rock in that record, and at the age of 20, making Off the Wall, he has Stevie Wonder coming into class. Collaborate with him and Paul McCartney, who both of these giant talents obviously
4: considered this kid a peer. They, they knew they were getting something really good here, and it wasn't just from the Jackson Five legacy. It was the fact that he was working with Jones, a respected figure in the music business. And look at it today: people like Justin Timberlake, Neo, Chris Brown, Usher—you Usher. know that they studied this album front to back. "Off the Wall" was really the Michael Jackson record, and a song like "Rock with You," I think, really exemplifies what they were going for on that particular record. But I think it was also the beginning of the end in that era, Jim. He made two fantastic records, Off the Wall and Thriller. But with Thriller, a self-consciousness started to come in that I saw happening in the Hollywood movies a few years earlier with, you know, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas were making these mega blockbuster kind of movies and they sort of killed that art house adult Hollywood movie that had been the coin of the realm in the late 60s, early 70s and turned it into mass entertainment. And in the same way, I think Michael Jackson took r&b and, and turn it into this mass entertainment where your five-year-old nephew and your grandma could all agree on something, and it yeah. was Michael Jackson. And I think that started to seep into his music, and I think he became a slave to the marketplace instead of the music after that. And it was really never the same for him. Absolutely, Greg. I mean, the man
3: literally and figuratively melted down in full view of the entire world with that weird plastic surgery remaking himself and crawling back into childhood with his Neverland ranch, you know and the pet chimp, all that stuff you could kind of say, well, it's just eccentricity. But there were two very troubling run-ins with the law. In the mid-90s, he paid $20 million to the family of a 13-year-old boy who had accused him of uh, sexual abuse. And again, a decade later, he was arrested and indicted on charges of sex with another minor. He was acquitted of those charges in 2005, has to be said. But so many disturbing things came out in the court case that people in the music world were really divided whether anybody would ever be able to listen to his music again. On the last two albums he made during the last 18 years of his career, he kept protesting, you know, don't judge me and and go beyond the tabloid. The tabloids are trying to crucify me, he kept saying, just like they crucified the Lord. <laughs> but at the same time, he kept begging for forgiveness for these unnamed sins and, you know, singing about the lost children lost in the woods in really creepy terms. If anybody hasn't listened to those last two albums, and many people didn't, they were commercial and critical failures. There's a lot of weird psychoanalysis on there and a lot of weird confessional stuff. And, and Jackson himself couldn't get beyond that in his music. I don't think it's fair to
4: say the media dogged him. I think he kept bringing it up. It seemed to have literally been
3: the obstacle he
4: couldn't move beyond. I agree with you, Jim. It's clearly a career in two parts. There's the music and then there's this incredibly scandalous private life uh, that obscured it in the last 25 years. So it's a sad end. A Michael Jackson dead at the age of 50. You're listening to Sound Opinions.
3: Greg, on a more upbeat note, that is a song called Fish and Chips by Funkadelic. You know, the number of great songs in rock and roll about food is staggering. (laughs) I found a list on on the web of 500, and then I kept thinking on my own. I came up with another two dozen that weren't even on that list. Easy. We could do this show for about 78 hours. Easy. And we still wouldn't even get to all the great songs about food. Why is this? Anthony Bourdain, author of the best-selling Kitchen Confidential and a host on the Travel Channel, he says there's three great pleasures in life. Music, food, and sex. And they are all inextricably <laughs> intertwined.
4: Absolutely. Bourdain uh, got his start as a chef uh, right around the time of that CBGB's punk era explosion in, in late 70s New York. He was hanging out with the members of the New York Dolls and the Ramones and the Dead Boys and Blondie. He was cooking food for these guys and going yeah. to see them you know, play shows at CBGB. So he has a wonderful perspective on it. it. was recently chronicled in an article in Spin Magazine. And when Anthony was in town recently doing a book tour, we had him in for an interview. We are here with Anthony Bourdain, chef,
3: raconteur, writer, one of my heroes. Greg, I am more excited now than I think anybody since John Cale came and sat
4: in that seat. I have to
3: say,
6: wow, I'm totally flattered. As a New Yorker, you know
3: what that means.
4: You've been talking about this for weeks, Jim. I I have. Like a kid at Christmas, Anthony Bourdain is here.
3: Well, you know I like food. I mean, people who've seen the picture know that I like food uh, probably more than you. And I was twisting your arm and telling you why. And there's one paragraph here from Tony's book, which is called The Nasty Bits, a collection of magazine pieces, essentially, Mm -hmm. which says it all. This is why this show is going to be so much fun, if I may. Or maybe, no, let's have you do it.
6: Oh, my God. I don't think I can read it without my glasses. It's okay. If, If food can lead to sex and if music can lead to sex, if the three have often been seen in each other's company... There's a direct connection between food and music. Does the music that chefs listen to while they cook and in their off hours when they're free to roam like the savage unrestrained beasts we know them to be, does it lead in some direct way to culinary creativity? Do chefs see uh, music and the places and lifestyle surrounding music as inspiration or merely as release? After years of personal introspection and research and close questioning of some of the country's more accomplished chefs, I arrived at some conclusions. There you go. <laughs> managed to slog through that
3: <laughs> well when I read uh you know the book that really put you on the map kitchen confidential it, it struck me that i mean you describe a modern day pirate kind of lifestyle among chefs in the kitchens uh, both in the in the big four star you know three star uh, mm. uh, restaurants of the world and and line cooks at the local greasy spoon well, and it's kind of like what rockers have always been
6: well there's a lot of overlap i think in in you know the talent pool you know the, the kitchen has always been sort of a refuge for misfits uh marginal characters who kind of instinctively understand that the 9 to 5 world is not for them i think what's been missed as well is that the, our hours coincide i mean certainly when mm. i came up in the business in the mid early and mid 70s you know musicians like to hang out in bars we have a bar in our restaurant you know musicians get <laughs> off work 2 in the morning we get off 2 in the morning so it wasn't a it wasn't really a a stretch you know musicians like free food we like you know to get into concerts for free so <laughs> there was a lot of overlap there
4: what about that interest in music i mean that piece you wrote in spin magazine about uh, you know the, that scene back mm-hmm. then you were intimately involved and it seemed like you were going beyond the surface level music so obviously you had been into music for a while as well well my
6: father worked for Columbia Records uh, when I was a kid and you know so I was on sample service early on you know my dad would come home though he worked in the the masterwork Columbia masterwork division classical music division he'd come home you know when I was a little kid with you know here Tony this is you know Sergeant Peppers everybody at the office in the A&R department says you know this is the greatest record ever you should listen to it you know I I had to remind him of this years later as don't blame me for the drugs dad you gave me that (laughs) album you know (laughs) so that was you know I grew up in a musical family where music was important and it was something we noticed and where I tended to be aware of the best albums the best records of the time as you know often before they were released Mm -hmm. so
3: after getting uh, off work in the kitchen Mm -hmm. you'd be hanging in the early 70s with the Ramones with you know the members of the New York punk scene the Dead Boys
6: you'd see the, I'd see the Dead Boys around I I mean I was a big Richard Hell and the Voidoids fan mm-hmm. you know I got all, I got the Vapors when Richard Richard Hell would come in uh, you know for a, a glass of bourbon and his scrambled eggs in the morning you know that was a big deal to yeah. me Late last
5: night.
6: and what was special about that i guess is that no one else knew who they were i mean the punk mm-hmm. thing was this was music you never heard on the radio and was not referred to in any magazine and was a, basically invisible and inaudible to everyone for uh, everywhere for the for the most part for quite some time so it was special you know you
4: know, you mentioned the bourbon and the eggs in the morning, you know, for for Robert Quine. I mean, what, what would these guys eat? I mean, what, you know, were they as interested in food as you were in music? I think they were, they were just starving. I yeah. mean, they didn't
6: eat enough. Uh, you know, a lot of that money went to dope. Food was sort of a secondary consideration. I mean, if you look at how a lot of those guys were living, it was pretty close to the margins. And of course, they're not making any money. You know, maybe their girlfriends are making money. Uh, you know, stripping or dancing or whatever, uh, which was a popular way to make a living at the time.
4: So, would you slide him a meal occasionally? Yeah, I, like
6: that? I, I mean, I remember we—I was a big Johnny Thunder's fan—and uh, we managed to network a free meal for him. You know, we had him come in and eat at the restaurant. And he came in all dressed up, you know, little tie, little little tuxedo jacket, <laughs> and terrified. That's the thing that struck me. He was really intimidated. I he it, like he'd never eaten in a fine dining situation before. And I remember when it, when he was offered like, "Would you like you know red or white?" You know, he he just had them both mixed in a glass. <laughs> and you know, it was like a little kid, and it was it was very you know sweet.
4: Yeah,
3: that's cool you make the point philosophically that uh, the music can affect what's going on in your kitchen you have played punk rock at different times but now mm. there are different soundtracks can you talk a little bit about about how the the stuff that none of us hear or see because we you know we're sitting out mm-hmm. at the table, right? What's going on in the kitchens uh, where you have worked and like right. to work, and what's the soundtrack?
6: Well, a lot of chefs now it's you know total silence during the service period. You know, th- th- there's going to be no music at all. But you know, mi- a mid-range joint like mine, uh, chances are, you know, when I was working in the kitchen every day during prep, I, I liked soundtrack to Superfly, Curtis Mayfield, early <laughs> sort of pre-pre disco funk, maybe a little George Clinton. You know, that kind of sound. Establishing um, a groove. Establishing a groove. During the service period, you know, you're kind of fighting for, for music, for DJ position, or at least you're trying to accommodate a lot of different tastes. You know, maybe a little punk, you know, Dead Boys early on. But then I got to kind of swap for some, you know, Mexican thrash metal or Mexican pop songs mm-hmm. and stuff like that with the majority of my kitchen or of course, Mexican. You know, when I'm getting out of the kitchen, then then you get into... You know, more more adrenaline based stuff, I guess. You know, then it's uh, definitely Ramones all the way. But you got to get through to the hell, end of the night. Or, you know, classic stuff give give you that one more shot of adrenaline to propel you out into the night. <laughs> um, <laughs>
4: the day's just beginning. Beat on the brat, beat on the brat, beat on the brat with the baseball bat.
3: But, but do you think that the, what the cooks are listening to can be tasted in the end result? I mean, that's a philosophical I know, question. I
6: know some chefs who definitely, on the more creative end, who get flavors from, from sound. You know, they, get, they actually get inspired creatively by listening to, to music. I'm not like that. I, mm-hmm. I was always, first of all, I wasn't that creative a chef. I was more of a workhorse journeyman guy. But most chefs, I think, use music for release. You know, afterwards it could kind of – you're looking for a a pleasurable oblivion or to take you out and away from from the kind of coal mine situation you've been in. Mm. So I don't know what that's like. You know, I'm not inspired to cook by music. I like to cook to music. If I'm alone in my kitchen – you know just cooking for a few friends that's different then i'm that's a whole different kind of group i could be going you know old anywhere from dean martin mm. you know i like old like uh, cheesy british uh, gangster film soundtracks like i'm mm-hmm. I mean, very into the get carter soundtrack now in a big way we'll be back in a minute
4: on sound opinions from chicago public radio and american public media with more of our discussion with anthony bourdain And later, Jim and I will play the best songs inspired by food. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We've been playing our discussion with chef, author, and rock fan Anthony Bourdain. Earlier, we spoke with Tony about cooking to music, but I also wanted to ask him about eating to music. What do you play when you have people over for dinner? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, what complements this meal? And so you have six guests over, and you're cooking dinner for them. What do you put on? Does it depend on what you're serving? Does it
6: depend yeah. who they are? Definitely, I think um, Serge Gainsbourg is good for French. You know, maybe Serge Gainsbourg <laughs> with, uh, with, with, with Brigitte Bardot, yeah, that yeah, wonderful yeah. single. Yeah.
2: Elle
7: est belle et son prénom c'est Bunny A eux deux ils forment le gang Barrow Leur nom
5: Bunny Parker
7: Et Clyde Barrow
5: Bunny and Clyde Bunny and Clyde
6: you know, something that's evocative of France if that's what you're doing with the food. And Italy, you know, definitely you're falling into that kind of, you know, Connie Francis. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking uh, Dean Martin. So you're going to go old uh, school or you're gonna you know, like going to stick with like the pizza joint kind of soundtrack? I don't want to hear Portishead. And, you know, I don't want uh. dining lounge <laughs> music in the background. You know, that's so ubiquitous. Yeah. I, I'm not serving chocolate martinis. Why should I play chocolate martini music, you know? Mm-hmm.
4: So it's not sort of an ambient thing. It's like you don't want this sort of sifting in the background where people can sort of talk over it.
6: You see, I've always gone that direction. Because yeah.
4: Eric
3: Satie said that ambient music is music that mingles with the knives and forks at dinner. Mm-hmm. So I can't play Satie. That's too weird. But I, but I always – I opt out with Eno.
4: Because,
3: you, know, yeah. you know, my in-laws won't object to Eno. Somebody hipper knows that it's Eno.
4: You know, I'll put on the, you know, for the Hippocrat, I'll put on McCoy Tyner. For, like, the little less hip crowd, George Winston. You know, kind of solo piano. Mm-hmm. You don't want anything too interfering with, you know, you don't want anybody to, you know, harsh their mellow, whatever it is. So, while so eating, you know? metal
6: machine music would be out, right? Yeah, I mean, you know. You know it's probably the music... music that could,
4: could
3: interfere with
6: digestion <laughs> yeah, that, physically. And, <laughs> and friendships. Th- th- yeah, that's what right. I'm
4: asking. And the same thing for setting the mood in a restaurant. I'd love to hear the amazing soundtrack that's going on while you're cooking in the back. But what about the folks out front eating? What do you, what do you set for them musically?
6: Inno- I mean, innocuous. You know, it's it's if, in my restaurant it's like Edith Piaf and you know French chanteurs and you know stuff like that. I do like you know kind of early, early sixties uh, French uh, pop sometimes. But really innocuous. So you don't want to you don't want to distract from the meal. I mean that's true at home as well. You don't mm-hmm. want people to stop the conversation dead to admire what a you know forward thinking genius you were when you bought the album. <laughs> you know that's just it's like people who used to you know stand up and show you that they could recite every line from a Firesign Theater or a Frank Zappa album. You know right. there's something a little creepy about that. Too much. Yeah, it's <laughs> too much.
2: Il parle toujours
3: avant moi et sa voix couvre ma voix. We are talking to Tony Bourdain, who is uh, a great writer. You need to own Kitchen Confidential, one of the greatest memoirs I've ever read. I like the nasty bits. Great collection of some of your shorter pieces. You have this great new book, no reservations, and, of course, uh, a TV show <laughs> where you get to go around the world. Let's talk about that. Are you, uh, you make the point several times, self-effacingly, that you're slowing down. The hell-raising Tony Bourdain of old, who would uh, stay out drinking all night and listen to punk rock after working a 14-hour shift in the kitchen. You're not that anymore, but when you go all over the world...
6: Are you getting to hear music? Yeah, a little bit. Um, we've been kind of looking for musicians as well as chefs to show me around as I go to various places. So uh hung out with Marky Ramone for the Cleveland show. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I'm getting weird emails from Ted Nugent, who I guess it makes oh. a weird kind of sense. You know, I like to... You know, he might expect you to go out. I like out to kill, kill smaller, stupider gonna... things and eat them, and yeah. so does he. <laughs> <laughs> you're not usually big on killing what you're going to cook. No, but but I mean, you know, it's you know part of the cycle of life, death, and regeneration. You know?
4: <laughs> yeah, well, you, you're, you're not you're not a purist. That's what I uh, like about your sensibilities. like you're just as comfortable eating a bad hot dog in a cool bar uh, on on the Lower East Side as you are in a four star French restaurant.
6: Often more so. I and a,
4: and I was going to say, is that. You know, I mean, you you've traveled in these worlds where you, you're around a lot of chefs. I mean, do most chefs share that share that sort of sensibility where they can appreciate food at those kind of levels, or are there are they snobs?
6: I, I think most chefs after work want a good hot dog or something good, local, authentic, and totally without pretense. And of course, just like there are musicians, musicians, you know, people that that you know, after a musician performs, they want to go see. There are chefs, chefs who who, who tend to simplify things and you know, cook pretty. Straightforward
4: stuff. Mm-hmm. I got to ask you about okay, two artists that you have said you will never countenance anywhere, anytime, <laughs> in any restaurant, <laughs> Not that in you will never step foot in. No Billy Joel, no Grateful Dead. Yeah.
2: I am the entertainer, and I know just where I stand. Another serenader, and another long haired band.
6: All right. Uh, well, Billy Joel is actually, you know, I've said no no Billy Joel is allowed in my kitchen. Uh, you know, under, you're fired if you've seen visibly enjoying uh, Billy Joel. He has slipped into my kitchen on numerous occasions and sent me pictures of himself oh with God. signs saying, I guess you do let Billy Joel in your kitchen. I've had dinner with him. And as I said to him, I just hate your music, man. I believe you're absolutely, I believe you're really talented. I, I mean, I, I, it's, it, clearly you are. I just really hate that melodic kind of stuff.
3: And he hasn't taken a swing at you? No, no,
6: he was very cool. Because he, we've both good eater. gotten
3: the nasty phone calls really? from
6: Joel when we dared to review him. He's a competitive he, guy. He was a very, very good guy with a good sense of humor to me. I, you know, oh, yeah. uh, I've been this making Billy testament. Joel jokes for a long this time. Is a testament I just, that's you know, so he's allowed in my kitchen anytime, just not not yeah. his music. <laughs>
3: Well, our favorite uh, rock star chef, by, by all means, is Tony Bourdain. Before you leave here, we have to thank you so much for coming by Sound Opinions. We do this thing with, only with guests we really, really like, right? Because uh, Greg and I uh, take turns putting a quarter in the Desert Island Jukebox, a track that we can't live without, at least mm-hmm. at this particular time and place. So give us a tune and set it up.
6: One, one tune?
3: For today. F- well, for today. For this moment. For today. Not the one to define you of all time. <laughs>
6: Down on the Street by the Stooges off Funhouse.
3: Oh, and why?
6: It just, if, if when things are bad, when I'm depressed, when I feel that life has been unfair, uh, that is my go-to song to feel okay about being in a really dark place.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
6: Can't beat that, man. I like that. <laughs> if the Stooges were a meal, what would they be? <laughs> oh,
3: wow. <laughs> Steak tartare. <laughs> uh, yeah. Run ready. Thank you very much. How my pleasure.
4: are listening to Sound Opinions. You just heard our discussion with chef, author, and music enthusiast Anthony Bourdain. But Bourdain isn't the only foodie with a passion for music. We're going to now hear from chefs from around the country about their connection between the pleasure of music and the pleasure of food.
1: I'm um, Wesley Genovart, the chef de cuisine at Tegu Station. I, I believe that dining is sort of one of those experiences that, that, that can be elevated with music. I mean, it's just, a, it's just a, it's a, it's a sort of a sensual thing, you know what I mean? something you hear, it makes you feel something. Same thing as you, when you eat, you know what I mean? If you eat something that just makes you feel good and you're happy, you know, music's going to just make it that much better. Basically, when we think of food, like we think of, you know, textures, flavors, aromas, everything. So, so I mean, it is building. So, so, like, you know, if you have something that's really salty, you might want to add something like a little bit acidic, sweet. I guess it is sort of like composing a dish. I mean, you just want a nice balance of wide-ranging flavors and textures and stuff. It is kind of like, like a rock and roll lifestyle, you know what I mean? It's like, you, you live for this. We get here at 11, don't leave till 2. And it's not because you have to, it's because we love it.
8: My name is Doug Sohn, I'm the owner of Hot Dogs, the sausage superstore in the Avondale neighborhood in Chicago. Great, thank you. Any hey, good i just do a hot dog with a uh, grilled um, with mustard and caramel onions. And grilled dog, right? Yes. You got it? Char. You're, you're pretty much guaranteed to hear the stuff that you know I listened to during my, my formative musical years, which was the late 70s, early 80s. So it's a lot of buzzcocks, a lot of clash, Devo, anything from that era. I wouldn't say directly like a particular music affecting a particular cooking ability. But it really does affect your soul, and that comes out whatever your endeavor is. The energy behind a great restaurant is the same energy that's behind a great song. I mean, it, it is a singular vision that everything sort of comes together, and when it clicks, there's no doubt that you can feel it you know, in your person that this is right. Coming up with the sausages, coming up with the, the condiments and the menu, piece of cake deciding what I want to listen to every day, the hardest decision I have to make at this
0: point. Hi, I'm Brenda Langton from Cafe Brenda and Spoon River Restaurants in Minneapolis. Music and food go together hand in hand. Um, when I think about them, holidays are connected. Whenever you have a nice holiday, you want to cook something really delicious. Weddings, funerals, festivals any number of things going back to the harvests it's sort of like cooks compose dishes like a musician would compose a piece in the kitchen I sort of let my chefs decide what they want to listen to oftentimes it's not the kind of music I would like to listen to my staff are quite a few years younger than me, so they tend to like some of the newer rock and roll that I don't care for, and now also a lot of the older rock and roll that I've been through, and and I've moved on. I don't find it very peaceful to cook by, and again, the energy of a kitchen is important to what goes into the food.
1: My name is Craig Serbosik, and I own a couple of restaurants, Crow Restaurant here in Seattle, and uh, also Betty Restaurant. I'm a huge music fan. There is a rhythm, I guess, and, and I have a rhythm, in, in as I'm cooking, I, I maintain a rhythm, and, and I think it's the same with a musician. It seems like both uh, musicians and restaurant workers are a little uh, crazy. I mean, I think food lovers know exactly what to expect and what they're looking for, as, as would a music lover. You know, it's an art, and I think a lover of the art is is probably going to love both music and food. It's an art, and, and we all enjoy it. My name's Graham Elliot Bowles. I'm the chef of Avenues at the Peninsula Chicago. I think music is the most important thing in my life. You know, I used to sing and play guitar in a band, and I was going to do that as a means of of meager living and then realized that to live in the van and kind of drive town to town and sell merch and make enough money to just get gas for the next show wasn't a great long-term plan and i thought that this was such a great beautiful form of expression as well with cooking and uh, i decided to pursue this as the career and have music be the hobby as a musician, you want to get your voice across. You have some kind of message that you want people to, to see and understand. And I think it, it, it's the same thing in cooking. Like Sonic Youth playing their guitars on, like, the grates of the air conditioner. You know, yeah, it's, it's artistic, but I don't want to hear that all day. And it's the same thing of me serving some really esoteric ingredient, turn it into a ice cream and shave it over the... T- you know, it's like, wow, that's kind of creative and cool, but I would never order that, like a big bowl of it. So how can you almost make your cuisine more pop-like, have it be fun and whimsical and creative, but still be able to to bring along all those people that you originally had. This mentality that less is more, which I'm a big fan of. The idea is if I give you foie gras and truffles and caviar and all these other kind of things, I'm sure you'll make something delicious, but what can you do with a carrot? What if I forced you to... Only use carrots, onions, and celery, which is mirepoix, the basis of you know all cooking, and told you to come up with you know thirty dishes based on these three things. That to me is real creativity. And I read a quote that really hammered that home, which was by uh, Jack White saying, "You can have all these instruments and all the you know you can have your background singers and all that kind of stuff, but uh, it's when you only have drums and a guitar and vocals, it forces you." to start seeing things differently and being more creative. I really like that mentality and bring it into the kitchen.
3: Greg, some folks after our own heart. Lovers of music, lovers of food. Wesley Genevart at Dago Station in New York. Brenda Langton at Cafe Brenda in Minneapolis. Craig Cervasic at Crow in Seattle. And Doug Sohn at Hot Dogs and Graham Elliott Bowles at Avenues here in Chicago. Greg, I'm starving. I'm getting hungry. Uh, we're going to have to <laughs> wait to eat, but you're going to give us some music. We're going to
4: go back and forth here on some of our choices for the best rock songs ever about food. So many choices, so little time, Jim. But, uh, you know, food is an incredible insight into the human soul. You know, what you eat is what you are, right? Yeah. And I think these songs kind of summarize that feeling. When I thought about what is a song, what is a great song about food that gives us a character, paints a character through the kind of food they eat, one of the songs I thought of was Tony Joe White's Polk Salad Annie. (laughs) Wow. Oh, you're blowing my mind there. Oh, my God. Swamp Rock. I mean, the guy was uh, a Louisiana-born singer-songwriter, came up in the late 60s. He actually had a huge hit with this song. But the mood, the atmosphere of the song, it paints an incredible picture of these lower-class people from uh, the South that he grew up around. And, and And in many ways, it's sort of a humorous and scathing portrait, but also a loving one because the central character is... Clearly, a person that he admires, and and she every day would pick polk salad, this this turnip that grows in the south, and and serve it up for her family, her somewhat dysfunctional family. Hmm. Uh, so it's it, it's it's a funny song, it's an insightful song. Have you ever eaten this and, stuff? No, I have no idea what it is. I don't All even right. know if it exists. But man, it made me think about what a, an incredible picture he's drawing of these people. Through the food they eat. It's Poke Salad Annie from Tony Joe
7: White on Sound Opinions. Now some of y'all have never been down south too much. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this so that you understand what I'm talking about. Down there we have a plant that grows out in the woods and the fields. Looks something like a turnip green. Everybody calls it Poke Salad. Poke. You know, a girl lived down there and she'd go out in the evenings and pick her a mess of it, carry it home and cook it for supper. Cause that's about all they had to eat. They did alright. I'm down in Louisiana where the alligators grow so mean. The little dog girl that I swear to the world made the alligators look tame. Poke salad, in it said it was a shame Cause her mama wasn't working on a chain gang me mean, this woman <clears throat> Every day for supper time She'd go down by the truck
3: Tony Joe Williams Polk Salad Annie Greg in a similar vein For one of my choices About the great rock song About food You know you were talking About how that tune Encapsulated this woman The soul of the woman Was was linked to the food And uh, said everything You needed to know about her Uh, As far as I'm concerned And this is a track I've played before It's one of the great Lead off album tracks Of all time Cinnamon Girl by Neil Young, also falls into that category. The idea that this spice described this girl. I was talking about this song with my wife, who is a brunette. She heard it as a song about a redhead, and I never thought of it in those terms. I thought that the spice, the cinnamon, encapsulated the soul of this girl. She was enticing, she was exotic, she was sexy, she was a little fiery. And, uh, well, Neil said it himself. In the liner notes to Decade, he wrote... I wrote this for a city girl on peeling pavement coming at me through Phil Oak's eyes playing finger cymbals. <laughs> it was hard to explain to my wife. What else needs to be said? Cinnamon Girl on Sound Opinions. I
5: want to with a cinnamon.
3: Neil Young's incredible cinnamon girl from his first solo album
4: Greg you got another great rock song about food Jim I do have another choice for a great song that connects music and food in the 80s uh, Prince was sort of typecast as this Lothario figure who was always lusting after women it was uh, he was always objectifying them and he saw them as good for only one thing and I think that is wrong 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 he wrote a lot of Great songs about women that were empathetic and uh, sensitive in, in a way that a few other songwriters ever reached. I think one of the best examples of this is Starfish and Coffee. You know, he's talking about being a school kid and a normal school kid of all things. Can you imagine Prince as a normal school kid? I don't know. I can't. But compared to Cynthia Rose, for whom he wrote this song, he is Cynthia Rose is who he wanted to be. She embodied everything that Prince wanted to be in this song. She was a little eccentric, a little strange, but a beautiful person who allowed her eccentricities to flow. And the reason he knew that is by looking in her lunchbox and looking what she wanted to eat. Starfish and coffee, maple syrup and jam, butterscotch clouds, a tangerine, and a side order of ham. And he goes, wow, wow, my mind's blown. (laughs) Who is this person? I need to know her better. From Prince, Starfish and Coffee on Sound Opinion.
2: 745, we were all in line to teach to teacher, teacher Miss Kathleen. First was Kevin, then came losing, third in line was me. All of us were ordinary compared to Cynthia Rose. She always stood at the back of the line, a smile beneath her nose. Her favorite number was 20. And every single day, if you ask me what you had for breakfast, this is what she said. Serpent Jam Butterscotch clouds and a tangerine Beside all the ham If you set your mind free Baby, maybe you understand Starfish and coffee Maple Serpent Jam Cynthia wore the prettiest dress With different color socks Sometimes I wonder If the mates were in the night spot Me and Lucy Open wits. a If you set your mind free, you understand. Starfish and coffee,
4: Starfish and Coffee from Prince, a great song that connects music and food.
3: If you'd like to suggest a song or a show idea or make a comment about anything we talk about on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800, or email interact at soundopinions.org. We'll be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with more great songs about food.
4: Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Jim and I are going to continue playing some of our favorite songs about food, and it is Jim's turn. Jim, what do you got?
3: I tell you, Greg, there's so many ways we could look at this. We could do great songs. We could do songs about our favorite food. When it's a song about a food that we love more than any other, and it's a great song, I mean, that's about as good as it gets, right? I love ice cream. You know, I'm always on a diet, but when I fall off, what I do is, you know, the pint of Ben and Jerry's. You know, I'm sorry. That's that's my biggest vice. This is, I think, the best song ever about ice cream and one of the greatest songs by this artist. A man who once said, there are 40 people in this world and five of them are hamburgers. But this was a song about dessert. Ice Cream for Crow is the lead track on Captain Beefheart's 1982 album of that name. Beefheart, I think, did more than any other artist in rock history to bring the blues into outer space. I think that the sonic innovations of this guy in the late 60s, 70s, and early 80s still haven't been matched. I mean, you know, as radical a reinvention of the jazz sound that bebop was, that's what Beefheart did to blues. And this song, well, like all the rest of his songs, you know, the lyrics are sort of Dadaist and serenity real ice cream for crow sun cream by day ice cream by night i don't know what's about but he keeps saying it he just keeps <laughs> saying ice cream and i want some here it is on sound opinions
6: it's so hot
2: looks like you have sweet beach crow the moon's so full what i had on a pumpkin you know there's something the moon was a stone throw. the show, I need to say hello to the crow, like the fire piano, the moon showed up and it started the show, tonight there'll be ice cream, ice cream for crow. Ice cream by night Sun-
4: Ice Cream for Crow from Captain Beefheart, uh, a great song linking music and food from Jim Dirigatis. We've got time for one more, Jim, and uh, I'm going to go with a Van Morrison song, written at a time when Van, Dublin native, one of the most famous Irishmen in the world, Mm. but he had moved to the United States by by the time this record was recorded, and he was falling in love with America. He was falling in love with a woman, Janet Planet, who was pictured on the cover of this record, (laughs) and he wrote a song about a very particular type of food grown in the United States. Uh, the namesake for this album is a varietal honey that was produced from the flowers of the Tupelo tree in southeastern United States. So he was like mm-hmm. really getting into this idea of getting back to nature and finding America, discovering America and falling in love. And, and all those elements come together on this song called Tupelo Honey from Van Morrison on Sound Opinions.
9: You can take all the tea in china Put it in a big brown bag for me. Sail right round all the seven oceans. Drop it straight into the deep blue sea. She's as sweet as Tupelo, honey. Of the first degree See the sweet See the sweetest To of honey Just like honey, baby From the deep You can't stop us On the road of freedom You can't keep us Cause our eyes can see Men within sight, men in granite, knights in armor, bent on chivalry.
3: below honey by van morrison a nice choice greg a lot of great songs about honey we could have just done a yep. whole show on that i'm gonna stay in the sweet vein with a song called i want candy Hit in 1965 by a band called The Strange Loves. I think most people of our generation know it from the 1982 version by Bow Wow Wow. I was talking uh, last week about Jerome Green and the Bo Diddley beat. This is a classic example of the Bo Diddley beat. It's massive in the version that Bow Wow Wow recorded uh, and has an added sensuality that The Strange Loves didn't have because you have this uh, attractive young woman, Annabella Lewin, very exotic person, singing it. You know, She wants candy and it's it's just absolutely cool. But I'm not going to play the Bow Wow Wow version. I want to play the Kevin Shields version that uh, My Bloody Valentine recorded for the Marie Antoinette soundtrack. Here it is, I Want Candy on Sound Opinions. Kevin Shields of My Bloody Valentine remixing Bow Wow Wow's I Want Candy, one of my gustatory musical favorites. That wraps up
4: our celebration of food and music. Greg, what do we got on the show next week? Jim, next week is going to be a great show because we're going to talk about our favorite songs to get behind the wheel and cruise down the highway, our favorite driving songs. Speaking of driving, Greg, the team we drive
3: crazy produces our show every week. Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn, and our executive producer, our fearless leader, Tori Southside-Malatea.
4: On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. New
0: Messages.
6: My name is Jim Angel in Durham, North Carolina. I'm calling about the rock and roll food show. I noted that most of the songs that you chose Dealt with food as metaphors or adjectives, and there are a couple songs that I thought really fit still in terms of rock and roll, really talking about food. The first one would be Egg Cream by Lou Reed, which is really an ode to that drink. Uh, in the course of the song, he gives a recipe for egg cream.
7: When I was a young man, no big and honest. a chocolate egg cream was not your Some you bet chocolate syrup.
6: The second song is uh, Beans and Cornbread by Louis Jordan. In this song, Louis Jordan gets into the psyche of a great food combination and discusses the conflict between beans and cornbread and resolves them in the end uh, by concluding we go hand in hand. What better homage to food could there be? I really enjoy your show. Thank you.
7: Uh, This is
4: Cliff Edders. I just wanted to uh, comment on the music and food episode. wanted to, uh, having grown up in the South, let you know that poke salad is indeed real. It's kind of a leafy green uh, that grows above ground, much like a turnip green. And the dangerous thing about it is that uh, the stem and roots are poisonous. Uh, I could kind of see how poke salad Annie could be a little bit of a dangerous woman to know. Good job on the food and music episode, and I like listening to you guys every week. Hey, guys. This is Percy from New York City. That was the dumbest show ever, food and rock and roll. I'm an executive in marketing. Next month, you should have uh, executives in marketing and what they listen to when their marketing skills
8: are uh, being practiced. That was dumb, but so was your show. Bye.
0: Hey, Jim and Greg. My name is Sheila. I'm from Wilmette, Illinois, and I just want to tell you that I've been listening to your show for a couple of months, and I think it's really phenomenal. I'm a middle-aged suburban housewife, and your show has definitely helped to close that Grand Canyon gap between me and my two teenage kids. But today, when you have the show about food... That was just the best of the best. I changed my plans, put on my apron, and started baking cupcakes while I was listening to it. I really think that your show is wonderful, and you may not want to hear this from me, but I think fond opinions rock.
8: Hi, Greg and Jim. This is Kevin Irvine calling from the Albany Park neighborhood of Chicago. Loved the show on music and food, which are two of my passions as well. The band and the album that I think really represents that topic so well is
4: Chibo Mato and their record Viva La Woman. And Chiba Mato as you know, means food crazy or food madness. And the entire record is just songs
8: that have food either as a subject or an analogy. The song that I think was the best food song on the record, though, and the song that really um, just sets a whole different
4: mood is White Pepper Ice Cream. White
2: Pepper Ice Cream. Like a line throwing. It
0: sniffed my heart. White paper ice cream. So, thanks
1: again. And I love the show. Keep it up. Hi, my name is Matthew Fitzgerald. I'm a glassblower at the Contemporary Studio of Glass Art. And I use music to
2: help me get through long nights of intense heat. It's a different type of cooking, but. I consider it choking when you're working with a flame over 2,000 degrees. Music is great inspiration for playing with fire.
3: No more messages. To give us your opinion on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.